No, it was these two. Because sometimes you do push it away. Christiana, she's been here a couple of times. Uh, hello, hello, Christiana. Hi, Malik. And I have Melissa Dupree. Melissa, will you introduce yourself? Who are you? Who do, who do, who hello, do you? my name is Melissa Ray Dupree of the Humble Park. Oh, Dupree. Dupree. Yes. Do of the Humble Park Dupree's. Yes, Christiana okay. and I are both Rays, by the way. We are after our fathers. Two Rays. Oh, so you, you, your, your father was a Ray too. He was Ray Dupree. Yes, still is. Who was Ray Dupree? <laughs> Rayfield, Rayfield, Raphael Dupree um, is a second generation Puerto Rican in Chicago. He was a former um, semi-pro basketball star out of Puerto Rico. Um, and his father before him. <laughs> was one of the first Puerto Rican chefs here in Chicago at Cafe Central. Oh, shit. So, Wait, so his father, he was the first generation. Yeah. Do you eat uh, popcorn or uh, various salty snacks? Um, I can. We, have... <laughs> we love <laughs> snacking in the I night. Yeah, sun Okay, Ooh. so that's dope. So wait, so he came, your, your father's father came to Humble Park? Yes, my father's Straight. father came um, with 15 of his kids to Chicago. Get the fuck out of here. All at, all, all at once. Mm-hmm. Well, that's with the first wife. And then he had like 13 with another woman. Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Yeah, I know, right? That's how important Are you telling me you have 26 aunts and uncles? 15 plus 13. I've, that's on one side. And that's just the... That's on one side of the family. That's 28 if, I, if I'm doing my additions mm-hmm. correctly. It's like 13. Oh, it's like 15 children, two, were, two died at birth. So there's 13. My father's one of 13 living siblings. Wait, so he came with them? They were already born, them 15? Half of them were born in Puerto Rico. And then okay. the other half were born in Chicago. And but so he brought those half with mm-hmm. They didn't like nothing stay, and then they came later. It was yes. like all at once? Yes, that was, that was the great migration of the <laughs> 1950s in Puerto Rico where, where um, many people were just sending half their kids, half their families, uh-huh. um, with other family members until What's they can reverse afford. reverse gentrification? <laughs> um, Puerto Ricofication. Making a living? <laughs> Being able to pay your rent. Uh, Wait, so 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 mm-hmm. this is the fifties, right? So like, kind of a little overlap with the Great Migration of African Americans from the South, right? What was that like? Thirty years mm-hmm. of that, and then how long was the Puerto Rican one? Oh, that lasted between the thirties and the sixties. For thirty years, so like, they well were into the seventies. So it was like mostly New York, Chicago, and where else? That's it. No, it was mostly New York. Um, everyone kind of just like flooded right into New York. Um, and then spanning out from there, went into Philly, went into Jersey, went into those Boston, and then trickling straight down into Chicago where there was a lot of jobs at the time with factories and um, clothes factories, meat packing factories, facilities. 
And it was very similar, very similar to New York. So, like, the lifestyle was the same. Um, and then most of them, when they did first get here, they all came to Lakeview, what we now know as Lakeview. And um, between Lakeview and Gold Coast, yeah, Lakeview and Gold Coast and around, like, where Cabrini Green used to be, around those, like, Larrabee mm-hmm. Did you areas. see Sandra's show at Steppenwolf? Mm-hmm. I loved it. You loved it? I thought it was, well, my grandmother was one of the people interviewed. Oh, yeah. Yeah, for the first rendition. La Havana Madrid. La Havana Madrid. I thought it was such a Chicago show, and it was very accurate around the, the migrations. Um, La Havana what? La Havana Madrid. It was um, a, a play. No, it, it was last year. It's a play that uh, Sandra Delgado did on the... Um, Latinx communities that came in the 40s, 50s, and 60s and how some of their um, patterns of displacement happened in Chicago and what were the cultural staples at the time. And, and it, it was developed in the Goodman's Playwright Unit in mm-hmm. the same session that I was developing Florissant and Campus. Mm-hmm. So, it was, you know, it was autobiographic, ethnographic work. It was really beautiful. Um, my grandmother was interviewed for that play because she was... My grandmother was also one of the first, um, she was the first Puerto Rican woman to be recruited by Mayor Daley in the first wave of deputy sheriffs that they created so that way um, Puerto Ricans can like feel appeased after the Division Street riots in 1966. Mm-hmm. So Daley, in a, in a way to like calm some of the racial tension between Puerto Ricans and the police, decided to give the Puerto Ricans jobs in the police department, but like created these special deputies that really had no power, but they had they had a position, they had a salary, and then he used them to gain the Puerto Rican vote. So he would give them extra hours to go door to door for the vote for Puerto Ricans saying like, hey, Daly can give us jobs. And so that's why you see a, a large population of Puerto Ricans here in Chicago who are in the police force because that was their cost of being white. Yeah, because, right, the legacy, because they were, if they were in the Brotherhood, um, those were the people that were actually getting approved for home loans and being able to buy their property and actually buy their homes. So, like, there's a mass influx of rich Puerto Ricans that are cops. Really hide the snacks. Nah. Man, the security is dense in here. Yeah, snack police. And the the security is dense in these places. Mm -hmm. But yeah, that's a little bit of (laughs) wait. But so wait, when did your people come from the Lincoln Lakeview area to Humble Park? Like, where was the migration west in Chicago? So that was after my grandmother got a job, and after. My dad, my dad might have been five or six when he was living off of Larrabee. So, like, they were all living within blocks of each other, my mom's family and my dad's family. All the Puerto Ricans were in that area until it started getting um, developed. And as, of course, like, Puerto Ricans were pushed further west, further west. And so as my grandmother came um, into Bucktown, she bought her home after having a job for a couple years. She bought her home, but then her husband, who brought her here with her first child, my grandmother had 10 children, five girls, five boys. After my grandmother had 10 children, my 
paternal grand my maternal grandfather, her husband left her with ten kids, and they just bought this home. So like she was having to now pay all the bills. She had to all of her ten kids had to live in the basement of the home that they just bought and rented out to Polish people. Beware of fuck folk, everyone. Um, fuck folk will leave you with ten children <laughs> and a mortgage. They'll pop you. They'll pop you. It's fucked up. But so I mean, my my mom my mom really my mom grew up in that in that era where you know they were living in their own basement in Bucktown and they were like literally using the bathroom in a in a milk empty milk jug and like bathing with one pot of water and mm-hmm. so I grew up in that home I grew up in that home my grandmother still has it I I, I take care of it you know she's in Puerto Rico right now she's coming back on Sunday but. That's my stomping grounds, right? And so, like, when I, when I was growing up in the 80s and 90s in Ukrainian village, like, that was predominantly Puerto Rican and Polish and Ukrainian. Mm-hmm. Um, some Filipino, some Mexican. So it was, like, wildly diverse. And, like, that was hood for us at that time. It was like, I was playing in the alleys. And <laughs> I was, getting it cracking. I was getting it in with my 47 cousins, you know? <laughs> Everybody's a cousin. Yeah, yeah. I have I have thirty four first cousins, forty seven by marriage. That's total. a gang right there. Like we were, we were. They were the, the Haddon. Park <laughs> the gang, gang. Gang. <laughs> my my uncles uh, started this uh, small like block gang called the Haddon Boys, which eventually got absorbed into the Kings. Yeah. So legacy runs deep there. <laughs> so. You wear a lot of artistic, creative hats and scarves and mittens. Uh huh. Like mm-hmm. A lot of layers. Why is it always hats? Like why can't it be like, you know, something that that phrase. I, and you I wear don't a lot wear of hats. hats. Yeah, yeah. Wear a lot of hats. My director hat. My producer you, you, like, hat. Like is it something else you wear? Like a lot of. Yeah, I call maybe cuffs. Like bracelets. Cuffs. Yeah. 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 This is like different cuffs because it's you know, more I'm just realistic. Grabbing. Right. Yeah. Of a, to mm-hmm. apply to the same. They're easier to take off. Honestly, because when you think about hats, like you have to adjust yourself for a hat. Like that's real, you know. When but you I, could just sit it precariously. I mean, as long as it's have you seen this hair? Mm-hmm. Have you seen this hair? I don't wear hats; they don't fit. I've okay, never, so I've never worn a hat cuffs. that works. No, it's, I don't call them cuffs, though. It's a negative. Can we like? Oh no! Like, like ear cuffs, bracelet cuffs. I like to wear the big bracelets. Ear cuffs. Are, yeah, yeah. They're they're just wider. Bracelets are called cuffs, but okay. I didn't okay, even well think about wear, that. Which which of the many cuffs that you <laughs> wear do you identify most strongly with? Or you know, when someone says you're creative or you're a comedian, I know that that's one of the the things I want to talk to you the most about. Man, I would I would say first and foremost performer because it it encompasses a lot of things. If I were to if I were to claim that. I am a performer, um, but the biggest part of my work is producing. That's the biggest part of my work. Producing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I, I, I write. What does that mean? So I come from, I come from a place of um, create out of necessity because there were no jobs, no bookings for me um, or someone like me. In what I was doing, I have a degree in theater, and in Houston, they really pipeline you into two different categories: either Shakespeare or white plays. 
Um, and I don't fit. White? Yeah, well, contemporary white authors, oh, playwrights. Okay. Yeah, contemporary whites. Mm-hmm. Um, and none of those really called to me because I know I'm not going to be playing like no Afro Latina ingenue. Like, I can do right. it in school when nobody else is looking. <laughs> um, but I wasn't going to get work. <laughs> you know, Houston Shakespeare Festival is like the bread and butter. Right. I wasn't going to get work. So I left. I left Houston, came back to Chicago, and I joined Teatro Luna, where I met Christiana eight Talk years about ago. This, that's a, <laughs> the Latina, Latina theater, theater group. Mm-hmm. Yeah, where Device Theater um, is. Do they the, still exist? They exist as a touring satellite theater company that has multiple locations across the nation. Um, they were uh, Chicago-based, then they were L.A.-based, and they're still somewhat L.A.-based. But they try to they they travel a lot. Um, since most of the work is coming from interviews, they try to go wherever in the nation um, most Latinx conversations are happening. Um, but Koya Koya Paz is one of the co-founders there, and she had always been one of my huge mentors. And she's like the godmother of Devise Theater in Chicago. Truly, what is Devise? When you say Devise Theater, that's clearly something. Separate from regular ass theater? Yes. What is device theater? Yes. Uh, Device theater is a different, um, I would say, modality of creating theater, creating plays, where device is coming from a non-single author work, most likely in a collaboration, most likely coming from um, ensemble-based, ensemble-performed, ensemble-created work. So it could... could consist of interviews it could consist of like um just movements but it's truly created and built together in a collaboration of an ensemble with a facilitator um just leading and shaping as it goes along so devised takes a very long time so where normally you would have a script already in place where actors can just come in with the director pound that stuff out for like four weeks and then put it up devised theater is a much longer process and it's usually coming from um, a topic or an issue where you have to do some critical dialogue or context around it, building it, and then it gets solidified and then performed. Gotcha. Okay. Uh, that was an aside to the what you were actually talking about. Though. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, that is what I do now. So, like, after... Um, oh, sorry. So after um, learning Should that we process, popcorn. <laughs> I know, right? It's like we're snacking and munching. The phone's not going to be a problem. Um, after learning that, I was just like, oh, shit, you, we can just make make theater. We don't have to <laughs> wait for people to write about it. Um, I don't have to wait for a role that's made for me. I could actually make my role, you know? Um, and even even what we were doing, we we're like we can we can trade off stories, we can trade off of experiences, we can write our monologues, and then I could pass it to you, and I could be telling your story. So when when I started realizing I can create my own work, I can create the 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 role I wanted to be and see, I started writing, and I wrote my first solo show in Teatro Luna, and then. <laughs> That's it, because that what first solo show oversold uh, the on the first night a workshop by a hundred people. We oversold. We broke a fire code that night. Were we there? Was that the? 
No, this was this years ago. This is a ago. long time ago. No, Sexomedy. Sexomedy. Oh, sexomedy. I, I saw a post about Sexomedy Part 2 or something. Yeah, so I'm developing Sexomedy 2.0 where it's... Um, wait, a, can we, wait what, what is Sexomedy? Sex, sexomedy, sexomedy is a hypersexual feminine rebellion um, that embraces the body and it, I mean it's super body positive and sex positive but it actually just like totally rejects male centered penis centered sex um, I would say that it is a furious furious one and a half hour fresh like venting session about why I have to shave and why porn is telling you what I like about my body or how I like to have sex when we should be having this conversation um and and uh, there's an excerpt in there that's just like my favorite thing, 10 things that make my pussy frown. <laughs> it's a slideshow. <laughs> slideshow? It's a slideshow. <laughs> that, that, you know who actually made that slideshow? Sydney Charles. No. Sydney made that slideshow. Did she really? Mm-hmm. She's that's the one hilarious. put it together. So like we all go back so far in our development. So... Um, I say I wear my producer hat because sexomedy was the first thing that I created that I really had to push on my own after I left Teatro Luna. And I, it was so funny. The show was really funny. I started getting into stand-up comedy and the blend of stand-up comedy and storytelling catapulted me into the storytelling community in Chicago, which is crazy. It's, mm-hmm. It is so competitive and it's, wow. got, it's its own little thing. Like, it's got cliques, it's got levels, it's got hierarchies, it's got awards in the moth. And um, so I I was, like, tapping into that real hard because my stuff was funny. Mm -hmm. And it was curated and and written in a way of, like, a performer would write it, not an an author, not somebody, like, sitting weeping in their room creating these stories and, like, drawing that shit out by blood. I'm like, I'm here to vent. Mm -hmm. Um, so what went into that outside of like just creating the content that she wanted to say on stage as a producer what went into that like you packaging had it at a myself place. yeah packaging myself creating <coughs> creating a um an image it was the first time i put my face on anything on a flyer on a poster i started um people started picking it up i would have to make the bookings myself um, I was booking. But then you also like have to design the show, right? So the lighting yeah. design, the projection design, the sound design, like yeah. you oversee all of that. Yeah, I, I. It was the first time I was just like, oh, what do lights look like? And but I was the first <laughs> time I was I was actually talking to designers because normally in a play setting, the director is the only one that talks to designers. Mm-hmm. And um, before you were your play experience of an actor. Just as an actor, so I'm directing, producing, performing, writing my own work. That is as a feat for a solo artist. Like we don't, solo artists do not get enough love. <laughs> we do not get enough love. We we barely get enough. Like we just started getting our own categories and awards and stuff. So like, it is it is very complex, but it's also that's your baby. That's your thing. Like you have to know all of the aspects of it. So. Producing sexomedy in multiple venues, I, I ended up um, selling out a 400-seat theater at Mikey O's. And that was when I knew. That's when I knew. I was just like, I'm producing. I'm producing at a next-level stuff. Like, that was it. I just needed to run the college circuit. That was the only thing that I missed doing is hitting that college circuit really hard because that was money. It's not too late. It, it is though. It's really not. What do you mean it is? It well, 
for for me for me I feel like and it's not a it's not above me to do college circuits it's the time it's the time and the time it takes to book the time to research to package it and then to actually do it so like I'm running a theater company now and I'm in a play hold on, hold on. I wonder what play I'm in so you're in hold on let me guess let me guess let me guess <laughs> right um you're a drummer in Telecom, right? Yes. I'm a musician in Telecom right now. <laughs> telecom. Telecom written by Christiana Ray Cologne. My best a friend. Play by Christiana Ray Cologne. Fuck it up, best friend. No, but you were talking about the theater company that you run. Yeah. What, what is they know about? all about Telecom already. What, what is this theater company? Like, you just came mm. from the whole thing. Well, let me back up a little bit because... What happened? Right, what happened? Right, yeah. For that. <laughs> do you eat breakfast? Did I eat breakfast? Do you eat breakfast? Like usually, or is like as a? Rule? I don't. I don't. Whatever. I, whenever I wake up, if I wake up at two o'clock in the afternoon, I'm eating breakfast. You struck me as a person who eats breakfast. You you, you seem very grounded, and balanced. <laughs> it's and the I feel eggs. like people who it's the eggs. <laughs> I, I go, go through two dozen eggs a week. 24 divided by 7 is that 3 a day? Pretty much no. 3 a day? I, like every 10 days. Okay. That's Almost 2 weeks. I, I don't think I've made it 2 weeks. <laughs> eggs. That's, that's, that's admirable. That's a lot of eggs. I eat an that's egg admirable. a day. I, I had to cut back though. I had to eat an egg a day. I was it's used, the good I was, cholesterol though, right? Mm. Yeah. <laughs> mm. Is it good? There's it's good, it's like, good cholesterol when you're like eating raw vegetables the rest of the day. <laughs> you can't have like two eggs in the morning and then a steak for lunch and a burger so for dinner. What goes with your eggs though? You eating eggs and what else for breakfast? Man, this is how I do breakfast. Christiana knows I'm a fan of breakfast. So breakfast could be a combination of a couple things. Like if I'm if I'm on a health kick, whatever, I'll I'll like soak some oatmeal and almond butter and golden raisins and stuff in a jar and like that's that should be Wait, on the go soak what soak the oatmeal and and, and milk chia seeds almond butter raisins for how long overnight just soak it. you just literally dump it all in a jar put it in overnight that's what i go and then i'll have a hard-boiled egg if i do that combination right it's oatmeal in a jar you, you haven't turned them on to that it's oatmeal Look, breakfast, uh, routines, uh, preparation, all these things. Working on it. Yeah, working on it. Working on it. That's why we're asking you about these things, (laughs) because I need to take The other day, I was like, Malik, I'm about to eat this cold slice of pizza from rehearsal the night before for breakfast. Don't judge me. And he's like, I'm not going to judge you. And I legit dipped that cold sarpinos in some marinara sauce. So what I like to do with pizza... <laughs> cold, but unrefrigerated but, cold. It's a difference. It was, yeah. <laughs> if room you, temperature. If you crack an egg on a pizza, put it in the oven. Mm. Wait, got pe- you, got, you got breakfast pizza. I do breakfast Wait, pizza three different thing, ways. Though? Yeah. Or cut up the pizza. Cut up the pizza in little pieces. Put it in a, in a pan. Saute it. Like, just fry a little oil. Fry it up. Crunch it up. Then Brit cracked two eggs on top of that. Scramble that shit. You got a pizza scramble. Shit. <laughs> I mean, she's the MVP. Yo. <laughs> Don't fuck with me. <laughs> I got eggs. I got stacks on eggs. My favorite breakfast, though, 
is I like to get those um the black bean pico, the black bean pico at Cermak that come in the the jar, the salsa, the black bean salsa. Did they make it? Mhm. And so I take two scoops of that, put it in a pan, just like toss it for a minute, just so that the peppers can cook down and the onions can cook down a little bit. I break two eggs on that, scramble it up, put that in a, a tortilla, a avocado, breakfast tacos. She my has made favorite. me this breakfast before. I have been a beneficiary mm. of Melissa's that's, excellent breakfast habits. That's my favorite breakfast. But if I had the great fortune of making a pot of arroz con gandules, rice, and it's in the fridge, whether it's white rice or like the yellow rice, I love rice with two fried eggs on top of it. That is like the poor people's staple, rice and eggs. That's the best breakfast. Mm-hmm. They do that at Uncle Mike's. Oh my God, Uncle Mike's. <laughs> What's Uncle Mike's? Shout out to Uncle Mike's Filipino breakfast. All they do is rice and eggs and then like all kinds of pork. Bunch of pork. This one, where is the Humble Park? It's on Grand, uh, Grand near uh, Western. No, it's on Grand um, between like Palina, somewhere like Wood Palina around there. Okay, so it's back. worth it. It's worth it. It's a it's a cheap, affordable, very fulfilling breakfast. I'm fucking with it. Well, I am a breakfast person. Great, thank you for indulging me. I'm a big producer. Of I wear breakfast. my producer hat. That's how I got my job at Free Street. Free Street. Mm-hmm. You're running Free Street. Yes. So I. Free Street is yeah. a. Free Street is a social justice theater company committing to um, combating racial and economic segregation in Chicago by creating devised ensemble-based work by, for, within, in Chicago communities since 1969. By, for, within, in Chicago communities since 1969. Mm-hmm. And Koya Paz, who is the co-founder of Teatro Luna, is the current artistic director of Free Street Theater. And so when the executive director decided to step down and go onto the board, that a position opened. And so I'm no executive director, but I'm a, I had, by that point, had self-produced my work for three years. So from that first sexomedy to Free Street, that was three years of like really doing my freelance artist. I was an independent artist. I didn't have a day job. I was hustling and grinding for three solid years. And that really proved that I knew how to run programs. That feels amazing, don't it? When you can show like with like tangible results, like this is what I've created that, that mm-hmm. shows I can be... Trusted, not only trusted, but I, I, I am the person who you want to be, you know, running your theater company because clearly it's within me that I can do this, and I didn't, you know, have to go seeking you out. But you saw, right? You saw yeah. what it was that I could. That, that must feel it was very validating. You know, validating is a hard word for that moment because, like, when you're independent for three years, and like I wasn't, I wasn't getting as many paychecks in theater and I was getting really disheartened that all the work that I was doing as a performer, I still wasn't getting any jobs to legitimize my acting. Um, It was really pissing me off, actually, Um, to the point where, like, I was investing so much of my time and so much of my energy in creating the work that I wanted and the work that fit me um, to still be like, 
I'm starving, literally. Like, I don't know where my bills are coming from. I'm on unemployment. Um, so, like, that didn't even, it didn't even occur to me that, that I was surviving in that mode. When I got to Free Street, I said, look, this is what I know how to do well because it's the only way I'm surviving right now. Um, this is what I don't know how to do well. I don't know how to be an executive director. I do not know what it's like to, you know, run a nonprofit. I don't know what it's like to write a grant. I don't know what it's like to have a funder meeting. I don't know what it's like to like behave myself, quite honestly. Like they they at that point I was just like, this is who I, I'm I'm literally coming to you as I am with this particular particular set of skills. And they decided to invest in the other set of skills that would make me powerful, that would really complete my career. And they decided, you know what, we are going to develop you. And they took that chance on me. And that's when that's that moment where I was just like, that's where I feel worthy. Mm-hmm. We're like, as I am, no bullshit. I told them I was just like, I'm gonna say what I'm gonna say. I'm I'm not I don't have like a higher education. I don't have access to a higher education. And this is my higher education, this organic masters where I have a mentor and access to hella money where I can go to my professional development through my nonprofit, through the theater. And I think that that's revolutionary where they take a chance on a young woman, woman of color from Chicago and decide to give me access to things that I, as a woman of color, wouldn't get access to. Who, who, um, or what is the Jeffs? <laughs> what, what is that? Yeah. <laughs> this is... <laughs> This is excellent. <laughs> I seen some you stuff saw, on. I you, did a well, you mentioned, yeah, you mentioned that you uh, don't really know how to behave yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> on, on social media, I, I peeped some some kind of silent protest with whiteboards and messages on them at some event. Yeah, um, Ooh, and I just like to know. With the last year. I just reposted it. <laughs> oh, so I this was last it. year. This was last year. Yeah. I reposted it because we at Free Street are hosting right now. Um, performance for direct action and intervention training. So we're teaching artists and performers how to strategize their movements and how to be active because like... Artivism. Yeah, because like they just, you know, just because you did a play about a social justice issue doesn't mean you're an activist. Like there's there's a lot of work and planning and strategizing and and learning and education that goes around it. So in promoting that uh, training session... I reposted something that came up on my timeline and Christiana was sitting right next to me. We were we were nominated for Good Friday. The Jeffs, oh, the Jeff Awards are Jeff Jefferson, Jeff, Jeff, two guys named Jeff spelled differently. <laughs> Jeff, Joff and Jeff. They they are um, a, a committee comprised of other artists and non-artists that go and see shows and nominate them. Um, but basically, capitalize on free tickets to go see plays, but then have they have they might not have any context or any kind of way to engage with the work. They just say, "I really like this play," and they all form a committee, and then they all create award systems based off of the work that they've seen, which also like they may or may not have any merit to validate some of the work, right? So, um, so it's a bunch of arbitrary bullshit, basically. Basically, but it actually holds value. Uh-huh. It holds it holds so much arts like capital. the Grammys, right? But it's arbitrary bullshit, but it holds a lot of. Like, but you art- would think the Grammys would be comprised of tremendous artists who are saying that's Grammy worthy. 
you would think that. You would think that that's how committees like that work. Um, it doesn't. So the Jeffs are like the, the, the Tonys, the local Tonys, where um, there's equity and non-equity. And if you, for the main, for the main part, where we in the non-equity field. So like it's all of these beautiful, wonderful artists. And that, that means are, they are not like non-union, less money. Non-union, less money, less budget. More like like indie theater, right? Like that's storefront, um, small to medium-sized theater companies, um, non-regional theaters. Cool. So we were nominated for a Jeff for best ensemble because we killed it. We literally killed things. Um, Christiana's play Good Friday was the last play I did that made me want to question whether or not I wanted to continue yeah. theater. It was that, that it was that powerful because I sat in a reading at, yeah. at the flea. Yeah. Oh, you I did. Was, it had me fucked up. It, it had me fucked up. It had me all the way fucked up. I almost quit, but I was, <laughs> <laughs> I almost quit. But it was also like my mom passed away the weekend before closing that show. So like the minute that show closed, I just crumbled. I crumbled. I, I I was I melted backstage. I was just like I let out the biggest weeping because I was so glad it was that 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 show gave me a chance to breathe and like grieve in that way. So I felt like we earned our yeah. ensemble nomination because we we put guns in each other's face. We raped and killed each other like emotionally. And so we're at the Jeffs, and I just can't stand the fucking Jeffs. <laughs> I just can't stand everything it means. I'm I'm dressed up to the nine, and I'm 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 sitting in disdain and disgust in the back row of the mezzanine section, just with the whiteboard. And I say, you know what? I'm gonna. I I feel like a hypocrite being here. I feel like a hypocrite being here. I feel like I talk all this shit about like the way that the arts economy is set up in Chicago and then everybody wants to suck Jeff's dick. Both of them. Right? Because they all say it, the Jeffs don't matter, the Jeffs don't matter, but yet they are spending money on these dresses, on right. hair right, and makeup. Right, because you don't get free like, you tickets either. You have to pay to be there. Who who getting the Jeffs? The Jeffs getting this money, right? So like one of my slogans on the on the on the whiteboard was like, "Where's my fucking free ticket? I'm nominated. <laughs> like, where's my free ticket, Jeff?" So yeah, so it's it's the play is nominated for best ensemble, and the company gets one free ticket. Yeah. So I was like, "That's some bullshit." Um, and the tickets are like thirty five, forty dollars, forty bucks, and. There's so for it's non-equity, like, prom, right? like it's you, like yeah. So mm-hmm. folks are like hair, dress, you know. It's like very formal attire. It's you know, it's an expensive night out to go see if you like get this. If someone award. thinks you're cool to put your name on the list, so you might get some more attendance at your show. So it felt kind of it, it felt kind of disgusting to be there and I participating. I felt like a sham, and I did not want to feel like a sham. So you, you brought out the whiteboard. So white I brought a, a, a purse-sized whiteboard and a dry erase right, white, uh, marker, and I was just spinning shit the whole night, live tweeting, snapping photos, and drinking out of flasks. Drinking out of flasks, <laughs> and so some of the actors, so the actors around me noticed what I was doing because they, I tagged, <laughs> I tagged some of them. But they also were like scrolling on Facebook while the road show was going on. They're like, so that was that was the first time I was just like, this is bullshit. 
just to say that, you know, this actor can have Jeff nominated by their name is is still just kind of like us buying in to validation that was not really meant for us. Like our, our black and brown work is not even being criticized by black and brown people. So like how are they how are we ever going to be understood? And so in that year, there was the Wiz who was nominated for everything just got swept under the rug and like while we were there there was so many like slaps in the face like the black the the amazing black artists are invited to perform and give the show its beauty mm-hmm. but damn if they're actually going to win the awards and so like I vowed that day that I would never go back to the Jeffs so Sydney who you met at the Goodman opening the other night mm-hmm. yeah who Who's all of been- us met in Teatro Luna she was Dorothy and she fucking killed it and Lillian, who's directing Tillicum, directed that production. So that the cast of The Wiz was there deep. They were featured all throughout. So it was like... Standing gonna, ovations yeah, for all Yeah, we're going to bring work. them out. They did like a medley from the show. Oh, shit. You know, but then like they did not Born win nothing. the awards. Yo. That's trash. Yeah, it was fucking trash. And like the air got sucked out of the room. And so, like, the, like, yeah. I'm going to let you finish, but... Uh. Yeah. <laughs> everybody, everybody was just like, this shit is fucked up. So, like, that's how, that's how the Jeffs became my, my first, like, silent protest there. But who picked the winners? Like, who was the committee of... Uh, who, who were the people? Fuck if I know. I want to find them. Damn. <laughs> like, I want to find them. They're anonymous. Um, one of my... Uh, one of my friends are, are on the Jeff committee, and, like, he's one of the only Latinos I know on them. Um, so all I know is that they try to invite people in, but like they haven't. And so I'm just wondering how that shit gets diversified. Cause truly it is important to me. It is important to my company that we are documented and we are also, um, assessed in the same level of other theater companies. We don't need the validation. Our work is, our work has been fired for 50 years. Right. What what is that? It's something other than validation. It's, it's, it's not... I don't want to say clout. Like I feel like that word is mm-hmm. like way overused right now. But what does it offer you in terms of what other people in that community? What it what it offers is visibility. Visibility. It, right. What it offers is visibility. Because like, like hate there's it no or love reason. it, you, you have to see it, right? Yeah, and there's no reason that free street shouldn't be in the mouths and minds of a lot of people when we originated most of the processes that most of these theater companies do nowadays. Like, we are older than Steppenwolf. We are older than Goodman. We are older than all of these, like, large organizations that are just now peeping into community engagement or community outreach or youth education. Um, So, like, when they do start working in those black and brown communities, why they don't have liaisons and have people that are from those communities, it's problematic what they're doing. And what we're trying to do now is, like, feature and position ourselves as the experts, as the go-to people in how to create with black and brown communities so that way you're not just tokenizing, exploiting, or even parachuting in thinking that you're going to create some problem. I mean, create some solution to a problem that's existed long before you and like well beyond your own comprehension of what that problem is. So um, it's important to us that we, that Chris Jones, even though he's not invited, Hedy Weiss is not invited, um, that the Chicago Tribune still f- documents us because they don't get to opt out what is included in the canon, what is included in 
in the historical and cultural icons of, of what's happening in Chicago. They don't get to just say, we're not going to feature you. We exist. And because we've been predominantly a black and, uh, and integrated theater company, we were the first place, the first only professional theater company where black actors can get their equity card. It was the first one. So like you, what what continues to be done here in Chicago is the erasure of the history of this theater company that has lifted black and brown voices for decades. Mm. And it's it, it's just the reason why I stay, because I think this is the work. You know, it's less important to me that I'm just writing or like in an all Latina theater company, because trust me, I go Latina hard. I go like I go black Latina hard. But this um yeah. I feel you. Yeah, intersectionality is more important to me. This uh, little shoestring on my hoodie. Yeah. <laughs> like one is circumcised and one is. Not. <laughs> you know, that's that's the that's the um, that's the Adidas trademark. What? Is that one always falls off? Oh, for real? Yeah. I didn't know. Yeah. That. Um, what, so what about your mus- musicianship? Where you, you're, you're drumming in this production of Tilikum. Oh, my gosh. Um, is that, when did you become I hate a drummer? Christiana you- again. <laughs> I hate Christiana so much. I've been hating Christiana since October. Um, yeah. Because she puts me in these positions, right? <laughs> she puts me in these positions to be like, Melissa, I think you're the only person that could do what you do. And I'm like... No, <laughs> it's not true. It's not true. I think you need to find somebody better. I've been saying that since day one. And now that I'm in day 340, I realize she was right. There are a few people that can do what I do. But I am not like musician. Musician is not one of the hats that I say are like at the top of the front door. You know, that is my culture. It's not hats, though. We're, we're doing... Yeah, it's cuffs, right? Cuffs, right. right. So that's not one of the bracelets that I would pull out of my drawer as, like, my go-to, right? Not it one is, of the bangles. Right. It That is a personal development for me. That's through Bomba. That's through, like, my love of my culture, my tradition. I'm still learning. And so I met Coco, who's the lead music director, years ago. And she is, like, she went to... She's got a master's in Afro-Latino rhythms and shit. Like, <laughs> she is the professional. So I'm, I'm, I'm in a place where I'm, like, super vulnerable, but also quite challenged um, in the musicianship. And I'm scared and nervous at the same time because I'm, like, this is not something I claim as one of my big things. But I'm looking at Christiana at the other side of the room every day. I'm, like, I fucking hate we're putting you in a position that no one else could possibly fill where you get to like stretch and grow and develop your craft hate because she's stretching and growing the canon this is what it this is what that means is that she's creating something for us that doesn't exist and that is the trademark of a pioneer a revolutionary artist so like i i take it because that's what it is but i would if it was anybody else, it'd be like, go find yourself a drummer. <laughs> like, but at the same time, I'm like, you? you are the one I, I have. I, it has forced me to to develop in the last six months. So I actually spent every Sunday for the last six months with Laura, who t- taught me how to hold stuff down. So thank That's you. So you so you, you spoke you. a little 
<laughs> so you you spoke a little bit about bomba and your culture. I got the um, privilege of seeing a reading of uh, Brujaha. You did, yeah. And I um, so could you just talk a little bit about that, the process of of writing that, um, yes, and, and where that came from? Like Brujaha is my first um, full length play. It I've. I have never written anything close to a play. And it's so fucking good. <laughs> that shit was hilarious. It was funny. Well, that's the funny part. It's 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 funny. Like you could you could not be into Santeria or the Lukumi or the Yoruba religions at all and still like kind of follow it, right? Absolutely. Get what it is, get what it means. Yeah. It's I like, mean like Melissa when I say I was so impressed, like beyond just being funny and it, it really captures like your signature comedic voice that I think Chicago fell in love with, with sexomedy. Uh, but then just like your, your literary voice, your playwright voice, um, the way that you uh, really do honor, I think, to the culture and the religious tradition um, and also, I think absolutely pioneering in a revolutionary way of creating something that does not exist um, for a community that like does not get to see the stage, especially through like single author work in like a you know a traditional play format. So you know, and I, I, I think you really got to give yourself more credit and stop holding off on submitting that shit. <laughs> I want to see that. I, wanna, I definitely want to see it's that. Ready, girl. It's it's I'm I, I I'm a novice. Those typos, just send it. I don't know what to, I don't even know what to do. You have to like just help me. Okay. Just give me some pointers. I don't have I've literally no I've got I've got a baby, and mm. I have no doula. <laughs> <laughs> I've got a baby and no doula. Like please help me parent this baby. Um, I think we we've yeah. been getting like little bits and pieces of like those religious cultural. Um, Traditions like in popular media and, mm-hmm. and music and film and television shows, but but no like actual in depth exploration or um, immersion, like like a real immersion into yeah. uh, into that. And that's what it, it was for me. It was interesting. It made me go on a Wikipedia, uh, yeah, and start looking deep up. Dive. <laughs> yeah, and, and so um, I'm excited to see Everything. A, a full production of that. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. Everything everything around Brujaha and Bomba to me is a callback to our culture, um, our shared diaspora culture that has grounded me in a way where like I have tapped into a certain kind of power that I never had before and a certain type of um, an awareness and truth that I never had before. And I think that a lot of people aside from the play, like, are thirsty for that. They're thirsty for the recognition of, like, their true Wakanda, for, like, lack of a better term, is that they come from greatness. We come from greatness. We come from royalty. We come from divine. We come from um, years and years, eons before um, evolutions of, of divine human beings who had a very clear attachment to nature, to the earth, to the universe, and and tapping into that power and tapping into that light, like it really humbles you as a person, as a human being to not want and need anything attached to the capitalist mindset that we're trapped in, that when you realize like that shit is the facade and this is the truth, 
getting to the earth, getting to nature, honoring the the orishas that govern the earth, wind, and sky, and saying like, "You, I am an ancestor. You are my ancestor. All of this is for the divine good." And I mean, it, it really has brought more love and honesty and and truth to the work that I do, and also just the way that I interact with people now. And so I think that more people are kind of like steering towards that and realizing like, oh man, you know, we need to get back to this and break away from this. And Brujaha is just like, it's just a snippet of of one girl yearning for power, yearning for like magic. Um, but she is like really seeped in ego. Like she wants that magic just to know she has magic and not really for like curing people, helping people. She wants to do it for, for her own good but truly like the magic is tapping into that so that way we can heal and break away from the things that keep us sick Melissa I have a lot to learn from you so I need to spend more time with you <laughs> let's do it we general. have a lot more time to spend together definitely um, thank you so much for joining me us um, what do you you have plug your social media? What do you have coming up outside of Tilikum? Hey, hey, hey. Tilikum opens June twenty eighth. So I have a couple things. Um, Tilikum opens June twenty second and runs till July 29th So get your tickets because this shit is powerful. <laughs> it's so magical. It's gonna be at Victory Gardens through Sideshow um, Theater Company. Rest is the show that Free Street is doing. So we are working with Trisha Hersey, who is the founder of the Nap Ministry. What we're doing is we are creating pop-up nap stations across the city over the summer and asking people to rest in areas where normally they would exploit their labor. Where's the next nap? <laughs> so those, those start in July. There's five dates. Um, July 7th, July 19th, 20th. Um, and August 1st. Are they There's, daytime naps? So one is at Osterman Beach. So that's daytime. But most of them are at 6 p.m. When people can get out July of work. July 7th, is that one a daytime nap? 6 p.m. Mm, okay. If you want to go to Osterman Beach on a Saturday at 1, that's a daytime nap. Where's Osterman Beach? I don't know yet. That's the one <laughs> that's that's north. all the way. Yeah. The one at the very end. I see. Yeah. So um, that's what we're doing over the summer. I'm producing that work. And then um, I'm in a movie that is going to be premiering at Outfest in Los Angeles in July, but it's going to be having a screening here in the end of June at Columbia College. You can come. It's called Two in the Bush. I hope everyone comes. Two in the Bush. Are you going to the L.A. premiere in July? I can't. I'm in Tillicum. Oh, fuck. (laughs) <laughs> I might just not make it and be like, Ia, come drum for me. <laughs> I'm, I'm missing my first L.A. premiere of a movie. Damn. My first L.A. premiere for where I'm like... One. Don't blame me. I blame you. I blame my agent who couldn't get an MRE for me. Shit. But um, I thank you for for calling me, and I'm I'm happy to um, I'm happy to one like know more about your work and be in conversation. But I think that the work that you're doing is beautiful, and I think we need more of you in the world. And I appreciate having a conversation. And the snacks, you're so stupid. Like this is the first podcast where I was like, make all the noise you want. (laughs) (laughs) Of course. Uh, Well, thank you again. Uh, This has been another episode of the uh
Thank you. Thank you. Blessings, Ache.